Well, we haven't touched on Glayton since November last year. So that's a good two months um, since Tim last preached to us uh, at the beginning of Galatians 6. So I'd encourage you, if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be looking at Galatians 6, uh, verses 6 to 8 this morning. Um, just as a parenthesis, I did not know that Ant was going to give some financial feedback because what I'm going to be sharing today is a little bit about giving uh, financially. And I don't think we were that coordinated to be able to kind of combine my message of what, um, what God's put in my heart to share and kind of this whole financial feedback. So just to encourage you that this isn't in any way some um, well-oiled, coordinated, strategic message that I, I've planned or we've planned. Um, I thought it would be really good for me just to give uh, us all, because it's been about two months since we've looked at Galatians uh, after all the kind of the Christmas um, lead up and all that build up, just to kind of draw focus back to what the heart of the book of Galatians is for us. And um, the title, I guess, of this, of this series has been Our Freedom in Christ. What is our freedom? What has Christ done to buy us our freedom? So Anne's been doing a, a fabulous job through the chapters one to four in, again, telling us over and over again that our freedom is, our righteousness is not found through obeying rules and for following a moral code. If you do X, Y, and Z, you'll be right with God. That is totally not what the gospel is. The gospel is a free gift of grace given to us through the work of the cross. The good news is not that we follow a moral code, but that we trust in faith in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ to make us right with God. Amen. And then we go into chapter 5, where we've been taking time to understand what then do we do with this freedom that God has given us? What do we do with the freedom that Christ has bought for us? Because we have done nothing. It's only by grace that we have received um, this forgiveness and this freedom to live apart from the law. So now God, in his wisdom, gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're called again and again to live by the Holy Spirit, walk in the Holy Spirit, to follow and obey the Holy Spirit. And that's the new life that we've been called to live. So the Holy Spirit gives us new power. He gives us new direction. He gives us new desires to follow a new law, which is the law of Christ, which is to love, the law of love. And Paul summarizes it uh, in this beautiful statement in Galatians 5. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's really the underlying foundation which, which we go into Galatians 6 with. Because I think Anne's mentioned this before, it's very easy in church to be people who are doing a lot, doing programs, um, setting up you know, new ministries and uh, pursuing new uh, and, wonderful, and many times wonderful things, building coffee shops, um, reaching out to communities, and it's a lot of doing and action. But there has to be something that underlines and lays a foundation for all our activities in the church. If we get them mixed up, then often we can go back into this law following rules, towing the line, getting on with you know, what the church is doing, and we forget that actually the foundation of what we are building our lives upon is the law of love, obeying the Spirit, seeking His face, and being empowered by that new power God has given us by the Spirit. So Galatians 6 is a very, very practical section of Galatians. It's actually probably the most practical thing we could, we could if we were to look at Galatians and start chapter 6, and we didn't cover verses, uh, chapters 1 to 5, we would get very lost in just doing things. 
So everything that now Paul is commanding us and instructing us in chapter 6 is based upon the fact that we are led by the Spirit. Everything is motivated by the love for God and the love for people. So just as a recap again, Tim started the chap- chapter 6 by covering verses 1 to 5, where he talked about um, those who are caught in sin uh, are to be lovingly restored by those who are full of the Spirit, those, by those who are free in Christ. We're supposed to share our lives. We're supposed to share each other's burdens. We're not supposed to be living in isolation and separating ourselves from each other, but we're actually supposed to come together and share a love for each other, a love that actually goes beyond the fact that we should shield ourselves from our shame, but actually we should release ourselves and share the fact that we are sinners, but we can restore each other in love. So that's a very, very practical aspect of what it means to bear each other's burdens, as it says in Galatians 6. But I'm going now into the next section of chapter 6, which is verses 6 to 8. And I just want to read it to us. Um, and it's a very specific um, way in which the church can share a very specific burden. So chapter, chapter 6, verses 6 to 8 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So here we go, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. There's not very much depth to this statement, to be honest. The practical application, the key principle that is laid out throughout the Old Testament uh, and brought into the New Testament is that those who serve the local church or the local community of believers, um, those who regularly minister, uh, as it was in the Old Testament in the temple or now in the New Testament, those who minister the word of God to us, are to be supported, are to be financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically supported by the church community in which they minister to. If you forget anything today, that's kind of just a key principle that is brought out in this passage that we as the local people who are taught the word of God are to support those who faithfully, week in, week out, teach and faithfully preach the word of God to us. And that's bearing a burden. That's bearing a financial burden. I know that Ant earlier just shared where we are with the costs and the budgets. Part of that, part of, that of our giving goes towards salaries. This is a practical aspect. It goes towards salaries of those who work full-time and part-time within this church. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And it's not, this verse isn't in isolation either. Just to give some context, um, elsewhere in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, it says this, Let the elder who rules well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scriptures say, you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So here in Timothy, Paul is again encouraging the church that those who teach and preach, you are not to, well, you are not to not pay them. You are not to not give them and support financially so that they, with the work that they do actually brings, they're able to actually pay and live and support their own families. 1 Corinthians 9, again, Paul speaks to the church there. In the same way, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel 
should receive their living from the gospel. So we want to encourage you this morning that there is a sense that teaching the Word of God is a full-time occupation that needs financial support for the person who teaches to live. Um, so it begs the question, what is, why is it so important? Why is teaching, why do we place so much emphasis and importance and priority on teaching the Word of God, so much so that we need, or the, the Bible says and, and God says that we need to support those to faithfully preach it, teach it, uh, and teach it to the church. If you could, would you just turn your Bibles to, to Ephesians 4? Um, Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. So why is teaching in the church, why is there such a priority given um, to the ministry of the Word, teaching and preaching of the Word? I'm just going to read Ephesians 4, um, verses 11, and then pick out a few key words which Paul encourages us here. Verse 11 says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, here we go, the shepherds and teachers. And verse 12, it says, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statutes of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in, deceitfulness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, there's a lot packed in there, and I don't, the, the, the emphasis of my preaching today is not necessarily to preach this bit of the, gospel, of, of the, of the scriptures, but just to pick out a few words that, that Paul instructs us with here about why teachers and shepherds are so important to the church. They're here to equip us. They're here to build us up. They're here so that we attain unity as a body. They're here so that we gain knowledge in who Jesus is. They're here so that we mature and grow into manhood. They're here so that we grow into the stature of the fullness of Christ. They're here so that we're not tossed here and there by waves of cunning teaching. They're here so we can recognize deceitfulness and we can recognize truth. They're here so that we can grow up in love. They're here so we can be taught that we, so that as a church we can be equipped so that every part of this body is working properly and in unity, in oneness and wholeness building each other up in love. The teaching and preaching of God's word is central to all that Paul is teaching us here. If we fail to hold up the word of God, if we fail to learn and be instructed by the word of God, our worship will become weak, our prayers will become shallow, our love for each other will be limited by our own abilities and our own thoughts. There is a sense that this word of God has and has always been a priority and I'm safe to say in this church, um, not just on our website, it says it, but through the actions and the way we form the services and the things that we do, everything I would say and hope would continue to be centered along the teaching and the centrality of the Word of God. And there are certain implications then for us as a community. If we, as a community, uphold and prioritize the Word of God, then we must prioritize 
the preachers and the teachers. There are two things I want to just bring as implications if we believe that wholly and that the Word of God is a priority. Number one, teachers need freedom to study, think, meditate, and pray. Teachers need freedom to think, study, and meditate, and pray. It's very easy. I, I, sometimes I'm guilty of this as well. I come to, uh, maybe it's part of the society that we live in now, that everything's very instantaneous, that we can reach and just download sermons um, in, in 30 seconds, if you've got broadband, if they're really long sermons. But, you know, you can just get a sermon just like that. You can pick and choose exactly. I want to listen to a sermon on Hebrews 13. Uh, search on Google. You find it. It's downloaded. It's done. 30 minutes later, you've had the Word of God. It's preached to you. And we forget sometimes there is a process that needs to happen. There is a seeking after God by the preacher. There is a sense that it's work, grafting, praying, meditating, finding out what the Word of God means and how it should apply to a community. And that is work. That is effort. And in Acts, we read in Acts 6.4, it says that there was a problem in the church. There were many needs. A new church has been birthed, the apostles, and were trying to meet the needs of people. And at the same time, they were praying and seeking God and preaching the word of God to those who were new in the church. And there was a problem because there was many needs, many people grappling for their time and attention. Yet one of the things they decided, and they knew it was good, was that they would set apart those who were preachers and teachers to minister the word of God and to pray. It says in Acts 6.4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of word. And that what they did instead of running around like headless chickens, meeting all the needs, they raised up godly, spirit-filled people to meet the physical needs, I'm not saying they weren't important, not saying that we shouldn't do those things. I'm a preacher, I don't do anything, I don't serve the tea, I don't serve the coffee, I don't tidy up chairs. That's not what we're saying, but what they were saying is that there is a priority that needs to be held to the preparation and preaching of the Word of God and to prayer and meditation. You see, if the Word of God is so loosely held in a church, then we don't put emphasis on the fact that it needs to be grappled with, it needs to be chewed over, it needs to be thought about well, how does it apply to a community. So the first thing, teachers need freedom to study, think, meditate and pray about what needs to be taught. Secondly, teachers shall be paid so that they don't have to find other work to support themselves. If the ministry of the word is such an important priority, then surely the time and effort that's put into preparing the messages week in, week out, the teaching, not just teaching, but the praying and, and the thought process and, and the grappling of the word, therefore needs to be supported financially. It brings freedom. To support somebody in, in their ministry as a gift to a teacher means that they are free not to worry about how am I going to pay for my kids' education, how am I going to pay for my mortgage, how am I going to physically live. But what it offers them is a chance to have financial freedom to focus their energy and effort into preaching and teaching the Word of God. Now in the Bible, in, in the New Testament, there were occasions where teachers and preachers freed themselves from that obligation and freed the people they ministered to from, obligation, from that obligation. So Paul, often we read that he was a tent maker. He set up his own business. He prepared so that he didn't have to burden the church. But more often than not, and through the principle of the Bible, it is that those who teach and those who preach are to be supported by the community they serve and teach. And you know what? It's a joyous thing. This is the heart of what, bringing it back to the context of Galatians, supporting those who teach and those who preach 
is a joyful thing. It's a spirit-led thing. It's an expression of love. Giving and supporting our teachers is an outward expression of love within the community. It is a bearing of a burden within any church community. I love to think the, this, this, this relationship between those who are taught and those who are teaching is like a partnership. It's not a, tra- I wouldn't say, it's not a transaction where I, I give my tithing offerings and therefore I expect a wonderful sermon each Sunday. It's a partnership. It is an encouraging sense that I'm here to support the ministry of the word so that the church can grow. It is a fact that you value the word of God so much so that you want to see it flourish for the people around here, for the people who come into this place. I pray that that would be our heart as a community, that we would honor our leaders and our teachers so much so that our wallets and the outward expression of that love we have would flow generously and would flow with freedom. Because I'm not saying to you this morning, give so that we can have better preaching. What I'm saying to you is so love, so in love. And what God says as the promise here is that what you will reap is, what you sow is what you will reap. You see, you, you don't give our money to things that we don't value. We give our money to things that we find value and purpose and worth in. If you believe that the word of God is precious and, and is, um, is, is central for your growth and for the growth of this community, then surely the love of God and the Spirit leads us into giving financially as well. See, the, Spirit of, the, the Word of God is a gift to you. It is grace to you. Sowing, the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit and supporting preaching and teaching will well, and I, I believe this, will ultimately result in reaping in your life and, and fruit in your life. So I want to ask you just a few questions. Um, has the Holy Spirit birthed in you an attitude of love towards the word of God? Does your heart long for the word of God to be preached and taught to you, to those who come into this place each Sunday? Does your heart long for that to take root and grow, take growth in people's lives? Do you honor the word of God through the giving of your money, time, and energy? Do you invest into supporting the, word, the ministry of the word? so that fruit will bear? Do you have a joyful attitude in giving to this church or to mission to see the word of God flourish both locally and throughout the world? I'd love just to open up this, uh, this, this application of this simple verse, supporting the teachers, by saying that, yes, we support locally here in the church. We support our ministers and, and our leaders here, but we also would love, how many of you would love to see the word of God preached taught to the nations. We believe that the word of God is the hope that will reveal Christ. And many of us already, I'm sure, are investing our time, energy, and money into seeing the word of God expand through mission and those who teach faithfully to the nations. So in the time I have remaining, just as, as, as this chapter is very much about practical applications of the word, um, I want to just bring out two practical, or not two, two sections of practical application. I want to set some practical applications for what this word means for those who are taught, and I want to set some practical applications for those who are teachers. So for those of us who are taught, all of us in some way have been taught the word of God in our lives. I just want to, just as a moment, just as we consider, um, who are the people 
in your lives who've, been taught, who've taught you the word of God? Just bring them to mind right now. Who are the people in the course of your walk with Jesus being people who have faithfully taught you the word of God in different seasons? Who are those people? Just remind yourselves. Just bring your mind. Um, think about what they taught you. What impact did they make in your life? You see, one of the things I think that when Paul says all things, that we should share all things with those who teach, is that we should be reminding ourselves of those who have faithfully taught us, and we should think of ways in which we can both financially, but also spiritually, through prayer, emotionally, through encouragement, physically, through just practical help, support these people who have been faithful to us. um, When I was preparing for this message, um, I think the Holy Spirit really convicted me about what it means to, to apply this in my life. Um, I've, I've been, I'm very thankful for those who've planted and fed and served me um, throughout my years, especially as a teenager in Hong Kong. And one of the, the teachers, or my, 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 my pastor in, in Hong Kong, was a guy called Stephen Jury, um, a big Australian guy, about as big as a bear, and also had a massive bear hug. So, you know, he was a big, big, uh, hefty bloke, um, but, a, but a heart of, of wonderful love. And uh, he, he led us, um, he, he did our youth group as well on Saturday nights, and we'd be preaching on Sundays as well. And for seven years, um, I was in that church, and, was, uh, and so much was imparted to me. I can't necessarily, as a teenager, remember particular words, maybe, that were imparted to me, but the, the sense of love and, and, and fellowship uh, and heart that was poured out to my life from Stephen was, was amazing. And this week, um, I was motivated this week just to, just to um, Facebook message him to see how he was. He's, he was now serving in Macau uh, in the Anglican church there with his wife. And it was just a sense that I just felt just out of expression of this, of this learning from this passage was just to share just my thanksgiving and, and gratitude for all that he'd done in my life for seven years. Um, and I received a message back from him, which was just so encouraging. And I think that's what this passage is saying to us, that we are here to support those who are preaching faithfully the word of God, even if we're not receiving from them right now. I'd encourage you this week, think about those people, make a practical step to encourage and bless them. I'd like to encourage you just to think about right now in where your situation is. Who are the people who are teaching and preaching in this, word, in this church right now? Automatically, my mind um, leads towards kind of Aunt and Helen, who obviously are our pastors in this church. But I also like to just encourage you to think about those who come regularly to preach um, as guests: Andrew Ollerton, um, Clive, myself, um, many others who have preached in this church over the last few years, who've faithfully done it, and we should be encouraging them in many practical ways. One of them might be a financial gift. I don't know. But I'll also love to remind you of those who are now upstairs of the kids' rooms, who are faithfully, week in, week out, preparing, lovingly preparing the Word of God and communicating it in a way which is not just words, but in creative means, thinking, how can I engage with a child at their level, at their age? We should be honoring these people, shouldn't we? We should be honoring those, week in, week out, who are pursuing uh, God's heart for those who they're teaching. So, another practical application. So, one practical application for those who are taught. Let's identify, let's love, let's meet spiritual needs, let's meet physical needs, let's meet emotional needs of our teachers. 
But I'd like to say also that as those who are taught, we can also have a teachable attitude. Psalms 25 says, make me, make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. There is a sense that we can prepare ourselves each week when we come to hear the word of God. We can have a humble, teachable attitude. We can come with a submissive heart rather than one which in many ways could be one which could stop the word of God making real inroads and taking root in our lives. All we have to do is look at the parable of the sower. What is the soil of your heart? Is it prepared in a way, like, is it like a hard, rocky ground where the, roots, where the seeds cannot take root? Or is it one where the ground is fertile and ready to receive the word of God? Proverbs 9.9 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. I think I've been guilty of this in my life, where I've thought, oh, I know things already. I know, you know, oh, he's preaching that passage. I've, I've gone through that passage before. But there is a sense that if you are wise, if you are truly wise in God's eyes, then you will become, can become wiser still. A righteous man will increase in learning. That's the attitude we want to have as people who have taught the word of God. Humble, teachable attitudes. Practical application for those who are teachers. We can't excuse them, can we? And I speak to myself. Um, teaching the word of God is hard work. Um, and it's thankfully given me two weeks to, to cover, uh, two weeks, so this week and next week. And I can tell you it's hard work. It's not an easy task. It's not a five minutes um, the night before. Um, at the same time, it's a privilege. It's an honor. Just in worship today, I was just struck by the privilege of what it means to be able to, for you to listen uh, through me, uh, what God would want to speak into your lives. And I take it, and I'm sure everyone who preaches at this pulpit is one who takes it as a real privilege and responsibility to honor God and also to honor you. Um, and I'm struck by just a few passages on what it means that it's, we have a responsibility for the church body to preach faithfully. Um, James 3, chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 says, Many of you, not many of you, should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There is a real sense that our teaching is not just words, but it's our whole lives. That if we are to honor you, if those who stand here are to honor you in our teaching, then it will come with a greater strictness in terms of the conduct and the way we not just speak, but the way we live our lives as well. Um, just earlier to this morning, I was reading this from Hebrews 13. Um, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Again, just reinforcing that those who speak are not just speaking out of words, but speaking out of action, the way they live their lives, an imitation of how we should live. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Again, there is a sense that those who are called to be teachers are called to give a high account to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, so that you know, what, what we say is not just words, but is taught out in action and in authority and with integrity. So those who are teachers, it's hard work, it's a privilege, and it's a responsibility. But I'd also like to just call out this morning 
the fact that those of, there are other teachers in this community right now, and you may not believe it or you might not realize it, but every one of you who is a parent, who has children, um, and those who are, are serving our children um, are called to be teachers as well. What, I remember when I became a father, it struck me so hard, um, just the responsibility that God had placed into my life to teach, to nurture, and to bring up my two little girls. Deuteronomy 11:19 says, you, so speaking to parents, to fathers, to mothers, to a community of faith, you are to teach your children. You shall teach your children, talking, to, talking, talking of them when, you speak, when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. If you are a parent, your calling is to teach your children, not just with words, but through the way you live, through your rising, your sitting, your walking, through everyday life, creative, natural ways, pathways in which you bring the word of God and the truth of who Jesus is to your little ones. Last application for those who are teachers. So firstly, it's a privilege it's hard work and it's responsibility. It's also responsibility of the whole community of faith, especially parents, to teach our children. But also there's an encouragement which Paul gives us in Galatians for those who are teachers. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Preaching is hard work, and I can assure you um, that when someone preaches, it's not often a magical formula where you say the right things. You preach Jesus, you preach the gospel, you do everything right. I've, I've laid out the truth of the gospel in an ordered, methodical way. Surely people should be changed and transformed. Surely we should be seeing the Spirit move, an explosion of faith, an explosion of people coming to know Jesus. But it says here, do not grow weary of doing that. Do not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, when God ordains it, we will reap. Do not give up. I pray that's an encouragement for everyone here who is faithfully serving their kids, serving this church, serving the youth, serving our children, that you will not give up. You will keep going. You will keep pursuing. You will keep being faithful because God will bring it in due season. I just want to share about just one incident um, in, in my old church, I used to, um, but Enching and I both um, served in the youth ministry in our old church back in London before we came to Forest Town. And, um, and there were two sets of youth groups. There was the 11 to 14 year olds, the tweens, you call them. And then there were like the proper teenagers who were like the 15 to 18 year olds. And Enching was doing the 15 to 18 year olds and I was doing this, this, this middle kind of 11 to 14 year old kind of age group. And it's a weird bunch because 11 to 14-year-olds are kind of, they're, not, they're kind of young and still follow the parents around. Not, and, but at the same time, they're not really old enough to kind of you know, engage with real practical aspects and teenage issues. So it's real kind of in between Sunday school and kind of youth group age. Maybe in this church it's different. But um, I found it incredibly difficult to communicate to these kids. Um, I would dress up. And we do all these kind of creative ways, you know, try and engage them. And uh, I remember we did this one, um, s- one series on the Ten Commandments where I was sharing about how Jesus takes the commandments and he makes them even harder to fulfill. 
he makes them even greater. He fulfills actually what it actually means to fulfill these commandments. So you've heard it said, do not murder. But Jesus says, I tell you, even if you look at your brother with hate, you've really committed murder. And I was doing a series on that, how Jesus extends the law and fulfills the law. And I remember after that, those sessions, they were hard graft because we like talking about murder. And surely these little kids were like, we don't murder anyone. I'm not going to kill anyone. Um, and I was like, okay, maybe God will do something in your life. <laughs> Hopefully not become a murderer and suddenly it will mean something to you. But um, I, I can't remember. I think uh, it was many, uh, many years after then we had, we had Bethan and uh, we practically we couldn't serve in the youth ministry anymore. And I remember sitting in, we used, to, we used to sit at the back of the hall with the kids and they'd play and this parents would try to listen to the sermon. And it was, it was a, I think it was, yeah, it was, it was a baptism Sunday. And one of the teams, um, this girl, uh, came up and I didn't realize she was going to be baptized um, that, that Sunday. And she came up and she was sharing just her testimony about how God had moved in her life. And... Um, one of the things that she, she mentioned just in sharing testimony was how at youth group one Sunday, she couldn't remember who it was um, and maybe what the passage was, but we, they were preaching about the Ten Commandments and about how Jesus, she thought she was a good person. She, didn't, she wasn't a murderer. She wasn't a liar. She wasn't uh, an adulterer. Yet something, the Holy Spirit through through Jesus being saying that, you know, if you, even if you hate your brother, you've really could have admitted murder. Something in her just clicked at that moment, that Sunday, years prior to that day when she was being baptized. And my heart just broke because I thought, all it takes is faithful preaching, week in, week out, let the Holy Spirit take the fruit, take the seed of the word, let it plant it in their lives, and let him do the growing in the right season. And what an encouragement it was. What an encouragement it was to see this girl just remind, be reminded of the simple truth that we take so glibly sometimes. We just speak it over ourselves, but yet it took root. And in due season, it produced fruit. And she was baptized that day. Amen. You see, that's the heart of a preacher. A heart preacher longs to see fruit. He longs to see Christ formed in people but he knows it's not in his own timing or by his own effort, but through the grace of God in season, and he will not give up. So I want to encourage you this morning. Let's honor our preachers. Let's honor our teachers. Let's honor those who are upstairs right now, faithfully imparting the word of God to our kids. Let's honor Anne and Helen. Today, Anne, you know, you, you've led this morning. Helen, you've shared... Um, it's not actually the word of God in the Bible, but it is the word of God, we believe, through prophecy. That's a wonderful gift to this church. Let's honor her. I don't know what it's, what, it's, what it's like for you guys, but I know that after this sermon right now, I'll go home and there'll be all kind of thoughts about what it, how did it go? Did I say the right thing? You know, there is a process that happens both before and also after a sermon. And you know what? Teachers need encouragement. They need to know... Um, not glib, um, oh, that was a great sermon, you know, on, on specific things, but they want, what we need want to see is heartfelt transformational change in our, in our people's lives. Just to end, um, I thought one of the things that we could do is um, I want to interview Anne and Helen because they are our regular week in, week out we, uh, preachers. 
we support them financially through the giving of this church. Um, what I want to do is just to ask them just a few questions um, about thanks, what it means to be serving on this pulpit week in, week out. And, um, and it's really for you guys to, to understand and give you opportunity to kind of see beyond what just happens half an hour, 45 minutes on a Sunday. Um, so I just thought I'd start with Ant, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up. Um, so I have, I have just about three questions, which I thought I'd just share with you. Um, and just for yourself, what is your usual preparation in leading up to kind of preaching on a Sunday? What's your usual weekly routine? Um, my weekly routine is, um, well, let me, let, me, let me just start on a Monday because that's when I would personally really appreciate your prayers because um, I find Mondays incredibly hard. I find uh, what, what Ed was saying in terms of the before and the after. I love the before and I hate the after. I can feel uh, on a Sunday night, you can ask Helen, I can, do, it's like a, I can only describe it as a spiritual thing that happens. I can feel this thing coming on me, and I, it's, like, it's not like a depression, but it's like a darkness that comes on my life. And um, I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's just it's, this, this is the way it is. And I think, you know, I, I think of Elijah, after he, he stood up to the prophets of Baal, he, he kind of he went and he, he lay down under the tree, and he said, I want to die. God, I want to die. Just take me now. And I, I sometimes I felt like that. Uh, for me, preaching is an incredibly spiritual thing. And I can feel sometimes when I say something on a Sunday, I can feel the spiritual thing coming back at me, it like pushes back. And um, so I want to start there and say that if you could pray for, pray for whoever preaches on, on a Monday, just remember them, just lift them up in your prayers. That would be very helpful because for me, Mondays sometimes can be dark days. And by, the, by, by Tuesday morning, I'm feeling fine. It's like, it's okay. And that's where I start again. Tuesday for me is a study day. I go to a coffee shop. Uh, I read uh, most of the day on a Tuesday. Uh, I've been reading two books at the moment, one on heaven by a wonderful theologian from America called Heaven's Promise, and I'm going to be looking at heaven with you in the next six months. The other thing I've been looking at is, um, is, is the Holy Spirit, and we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit next. And then I've been looking at uh, reading a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones on preaching because I believe preaching is the thing we are called to do amongst everything else that the church does. Preaching is the thing. So by the end of Tuesday, I have uh, an outline for my message. Then I start to pray and think. And then again on Thursday uh, morning, normally Thursday mornings, I construct what I'm going to say on a Sunday. So for me, there's uh, two full days that I take to think and pray, and I, you sometimes I walk quite a lot, and so I go in, or I go for a run, and when I'm when I'm running or walking, I'm thinking and praying and asking God to help me for Sunday. So that's how my week happens. Tuesdays and Thursdays are preparation for Sunday morning. Mm, thank you. I think that's good to hear, isn't it? It's good to hear that the time and energy that's required, and also not just the physical time, but the emotional energy that's required to invest week in week out. Um, Helen, can I just ask you a question, if that's okay? Um, um, one of the things that we talked about today was the fact that 
to preach the word of God and to be faithful in sharing the word of God, that you need time, energy, and um, you need almost to be released to do that, to that work. So how as a church and the people in this church, how can they release you and Ant, to minister the word of God? Because there's always activity, there's always many things going on. How can we as a church practically release you and, and Ant? Well, I think one of the things I'm having to face about myself is I think I can be a bit of a Martha and I can run around and scurry and do a hundred million things. And uh, I think I'm learning the word delegation, which I don't always find very easy. Um, so one of the things we've been praying as a leadership team um, is to just uh, maybe uh, looking at the option of maybe getting someone to work as a, a PA just to help release some of the administrative things because mm. I think sometimes there are ministry things that can be robbed just by lots of practical mm. things that need to get done. Great. So okay. yeah. that's something we're praying about for, for that. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you very much. It's wonderful. Again, extra staff means money. <laughs> and we want to be a church that is a blessing where we honor the word of God, support our ministers. You're allowed to go. <laughs> Could we stand? Um, I just want to encourage you, if you, in some capacity, whether as a parent, um, a preacher, a life group leader, where you are teaching the word of God, a youth group leader, would you just raise your hand? Because what we want to do, we want to pray for you. If you're involved in any type of ministry, if you're a dad, if you're a mum, we need to be praying for you. We need to be praying for your kids, especially. But we want to pray for you. And those of you around, would you just look at those people right now and just bless them? Let's just pray for them. Let's just pray that the word of God would be fruitful in these people's lives. If you're not near somebody, come on, as a community, let's gather around these people. Let's raise, them up, raise your hands up high so they can see you. Because not a lot of you parents. <laughs> if you need help as a parent, come on, that's very. Let's pray for these people that they would be honoring the word of God and bringing fruit into the life of this church.